Okay. Well, let's go ahead and get started. You know, our, our um, students at school know that I love to tell stories. Because I, I do. I love stories myself, and I love to tell stories, especially those that have a meaning to them. And I love that Jesus spoke in a lot of parables. So he spoke in a lot of stories. And I want to share with you a story that I know you are well and familiar with. Remember when the lawyer came to Jesus and he says, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And do you remember what God said after that or what he told him? This is a different one. But I, there was one about that to go and sell your goods. Because it says, let's see here. Well, it says here, behold a certain lawyer, and this is in Luke 10, 25. Behold a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said unto him, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? And remember how he answered? He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And remember, Jesus asked him a question then. Or, or he said, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But then Jesus asked, well, who is your neighbor? And do you remember the story that follows? It's right, it's the Good Samaritan. And I love this because this fits right into medical ministry. So I'm just going to refresh your memory by reading a little bit here. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. Then there was a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him, and then passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, and here's what, what really struck me this morning is exactly. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. Here you have a priest and you have a Levite that should be God's people, that should know what compassion is, but they didn't. They had no compassion whatsoever. And here the Samaritan comes along and he had compassion. His heart went out to this suffering person. So it says he had compassion on him. Let me find my space here. And went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his beast, and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay. Right? So... Was this good Samaritan prepared to take care of somebody? Was he? Did he have oil and wine? And I, and I don't know if these are just things that they always traveled with. He must have had something to bandage him up. 
you know. So in my mind, I kind of think maybe he was a little bit prepared, you know, maybe to help other people. And we as medical missionaries, we need to be prepared, right? Always prepared, always having charcoal, always having things with us. So when we see people and have compassion on them, we go beyond just praying for them. We say, hey, look, we can help you. You know, I have this to share with you, or I have that to share with you. And you guys have your hands. There's a lot of things that you've learned now to do with your hands and with hydrotherapy that we can do to help people. So I think being prepared is also a wonderful thing. And the neat thing is, in, and he said, he that shewed mercy on him, or he asked, he asked the lawyer, which one of these is, is truly the neighbor, right? The one who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. So I love this story because it's just such a medical missionary story, you know? And the thing is, is what drives us to, ha to help other people? Really, it is compassion, you know? Um, in, in a lot of quotes from Ellen White, it talks about benevolence, you know, kind works, good works. But I think a lot of that is based on compassion. We have to have that compassion before we even want to reach out and help people, right? So compassion is a huge thing. So we as medical missionaries, and I know just getting to know you that, that you guys do care, that you really want to help each other because some of you have come up and say, hey, I know somebody that needs this kind of work. I'm so happy that I'm able to help people. So it, it's awesome that you guys have compassion. So let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and for your guidance and for these simple stories. And Father, we want to be like the Good Samaritan. We want to be medical missionaries for you. So Lord, please give us healing hands for you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, today is lower back pain. There is a lot to lower back pain. So we're just going to start out. I'm just going to kind of give an overview, and then Tanya's going to take it away <laughs> and um, show you a lot, of, lot more practical things about it. You know, maybe I am better off being on this side. Lower back pain. 60 to 80% of the population will have lower back pain. Is that significant? That means there's only 20% of people that don't have lower back pain. You know, it wasn't too long ago, just a few weeks back, I had lower back pain for the first time in my life. I didn't even know what it was. I'd treated people with it, but I was trying to exercise, a week's worth of exercise in one morning. And I was doing all these sit-ups and leg lifts and all this, and the next day, I could hardly walk. I had so much pain, when I would even lift up my leg, it would shoot pain up my back. And I'm thinking, oh my, this might be a serious thing. And I was like, oh dear, now I know what these poor people with lower back pain feel like. The only time I was ever comfortable was to stand for a few minutes, but then it started hurting, and then I'd sit, and then that started hurting. I just couldn't get comfortable. And I thought, oh, this is terrible. So I live right around the corner from the Drayson Center at, on campus. So I can just go to the jacuzzi or swim. And uh, so I went over there thinking, I just want to sit in a jacuzzi and just get warm and, and, and for it to help my back. So I went, and the jacuzzi wasn't working. Well, we have a small clinic there. We have about 10 therapists that work out of a clinic at the Drayson Center on campus. So I, I like to just pop over there and say hi to the, we have men and women that work there, and say hi to them and, 
and see how they're doing. So not even thinking about anybody touching my back because I was in so much pain. I was like, I don't even want anybody to touch me. So I went kind of carefully waddling over there. And so I talked to her and I told her, wow, you know, I have this back pain. I just, you know, I can't believe the jacuzzi's not open. And so she says, you know, I just finished with my last client. Do you want me to work on you? And you know, here, me being a therapist and instructor, I was just like, ding, oh, okay, well, yeah, maybe I should have come to you in the beginning. <laughs> so anyway, I said, sure. So she worked on me, and she worked so gently and wonderfully on me. And then she gave me stretches and exercises afterwards, which I did. And, and I really appreciated that because she didn't treat me like the teacher. She, taught, she treated me like a regular client. And you know, she worked my iliacus and just very, very gently went in there, worked my psoas, everything gentle, worked a, a bunch of muscles in here. And you'll be learning some of them and a few of my glutes and just as gentle as could be. And then afterwards, she had me do a few stretching exercises, kind of like a cat, you know, raise up and then to, to arch back like this. By the time I got off the table, I was actually able to bend over because I couldn't even pet my dog before that. I was like going like this, hey doggy, you know? And after that, one single treatment, I was able to bend over. I was like 80% better. And then I just got some of these cayenne patches at the 99 cent store, wore them on my back for I think a day or two. And within like three, four days, I was fine. I was able to do things again. And up until that point, I was injured the day before the next day, it was horrible. It was Sabbath, and I just could hardly sit in church, and it seemed worse even the next day. So by the time I got therapy on Sunday, I thought, oh, no, what's happening here? But it reversed it immediately, and within just a few days, I was back to normal again. So that just kind of reminded me, <laughs> you know, from my own experience, how wonderful massage is. It's the second most common cause of office visits to the physician. The second most. The first one is like respiratory symptoms. The second one is lower back pain. And it's the most common cause of disability for below 50 or 45 year olds. So a lot of people in their 30s, 40s going on disability because of lower back pain, not having any idea how to get rid of it. The cost to society, 20 to 50 billion dollars a year, just lower back pain. You should see what headaches cost, what carpal tunnel costs, what all these other ones cost. But just this alone, 20 to 50 billion a year for lower back pain. Here's a quote that I found, and this is from Evaluation and Management in Primary Care Setting. It's, it's medical. Um, Clinician North America, so it's one of the journals, and it says, one would have thought by now that the problem of diagnosis and treatment would have been solved, but the issue remains mysterious and clouded with uncertainty. And this is talking about lower back pain. You know, you go to the physician, what does the physician do for you? Right, they may give you some medication, some anti-inflammatories, some pain relievers, maybe a shot of something. But there's nothing much that they can do. They may take an x-ray, even an MRI, but a lot of times you can't tell really what's going on, why the lower back. Now let's take a look at the lower back. Here are just a few of the muscles, right? 
Is there a muscle right here? We have a lot of that are a little bit deeper than that, close to the spine. But this is one of our most superficial things. So I've found I can work on the lower back till I'm wore out, and you're not going to really help people much most of the time just working on the lower back. And so it used to really frustrate me, even though I'd learned early on how to work on the psoas, but we were afraid to. <laughs> even as a nurse, I'm like, ah, I don't like getting into this area that much. Can't be that helpful. And our instructor never really emphasized it that much. And um, so I used to work on the back and try to get trigger points around here, work in the glutes. And the glutes are definitely a part of it as well. But it never seemed to really get rid of the pain the way I like it to. You know, I like to give people treatments and, and for them to be well quickly. So one day I thought, you know what, let me try working on the psoas. So I had a client, she'd been to physical therapy and everything and just said, oh, my lower back pain just isn't going away. I gave her a treatment and after one treatment she calls me up, she goes, my lower back pain is gone. She says, after going to all these physicians and everything and PT and all of that, my back pain is gone. So I was like, oh, cool, all right, so I'm gonna start doing this more on my clients. And so after a while, this is pretty much you know, what I do when somebody has sciatic pain or lower back pain. I work their psoas and of course the opposite muscles, which are their, their glutes, right? So a lot of that already there can help to get rid of lower back pain. Do we need to go digging into the tissue? Do we need to go, you know, probing very deeply? No, not usually. Even with big people, to get to the psoas, you don't have to go through all those layers of fat. For some reason, just being even superficial in that area, you can actually affect the psoas. And you can even feel it when they bring their leg up to know that we're on it. And it's quite amazing. It's like, hmm. So here we have the vertebrae of the lower back. And if you take a look at a vertebral uh, column, we go to Loma Linda Cadaver Lab. We're one of the few people that are actually allowed to take our students over there because they love how they, they're really into anatomy, our students. So we get to really look at the carpal tunnels, you know, because they open them up. We get to look at the spinal columns. We get to look at what the psoas looks like. We get to look at the sciatic nerve. Do you know the sciatic nerve is about this big? I was so surprised when I saw that sciatic nerve coming right down through the pelvis area there being so big. I couldn't believe it. So when it's flamed, inflamed, you never want to work right in that area. So you always want to work away from it, you know, or very, very close to the sacrum here, but never in that area because if something's already inflamed and you're putting pressure in there, you're going to cause more problems, more, more things. Hydrotherapy is wonderful because you can ice massage it. You learn about ice massage. You know, um, Wildwood has some really good books. There's a little hydrotherapy book by Dr. Thomas and Dale, Dr. Dial or something like that. But it's a smaller book and if you look in it has a lot of pictures in it. So it has wonderful how-to things on hydrotherapy. I'd recommend it's just a small book but very, very um, easy to read and very effective. So a lot of people say, well, you have lower pack pain because you have a herniated disc. And this is a herniated disc. It's, this is the propulsa here, the, the inside of the disc. And sometimes it will leak out. And it takes a lot of force to actually herniate a disc. 
And uh, people will do, doctors will do x-rays. Someone comes in with um, back pain, they do an x-ray, say, hey, look, you have a herniated disc. This is what's causing your problem. But you know what? If we were to take an x-ray of all of you guys or an MRI to check for a herniated disc, probably quite a few will have herniated discs and no symptoms whatsoever. So you really can't count on that. Same thing with arthritis in the back. A lot of us, and especially if you're sedentary, you're not moving around a lot, already have, in our 20s and 30s, already start having calcification and arthritis showing up in the hips and in the spine. So you can't go by that when people say, well, my doctor says I have arthritis, I should ease up now, don't do so much because, you know, I'll aggravate it or whatever. But usually that's not the cause of the pain. The cause is mostly muscles. Muscles and other connective tissue and scar tissue that gets in there. And a lot of times when we free that up, circulation gets in there and it takes care of that calcification. It will actually help to dissolve it and move it out of the body. Our bodies were made to heal. You just give it the right things. And of course, nutrition is huge in that part as well. And if you look at the intervertebral disc, you can see how spongy they are, right? We're going to talk about the discs a little bit more here in the near future. But see, the discs are very essential, and they keep the bones from rubbing on the bones. So what's the percent of back pain due to herniated discs? Which of those would you guess? 4%, 14%, 40%, none of the above. Exactly, 4%. Wow, you guys all get A's. It's good, 4%. Lumbar strain and sprain is 70%. That could be muscles, ligaments, tendons, any of those type of things. And those are, those are strong muscles, so it takes a lot to really strain them and sprain them. 70%, degenerative changes just from aging and things like that, about 10%, herniated discs 4%, and other is 12%. Here we go, our favorite muscle, right? You know, I was surprised. We have a wonderful mus uh, a muscular book. It's called Clinical, our Clinical Massage Book. Beautiful pictures of muscles. I love this book. And when I read under the psoas muscle, it says it's one of the most important muscles of the body for a therapist, and I thought, this is awesome. Because working on the psoas, I remember when I was up at Redwood Camp Meeting, they, had, they invited us up to do some massage up there. So we set up our, our chair, and we actually had a table. So we had a couple chairs and a table right under the, the pine trees. It was, it was beautiful, and we loved doing <laughs> therapy there. And so people would pay a dollar a minute, and we would work on them either on the chair, and if we felt we needed them on the table to work on their psoas or different parts, we'd put them on the table or the, the bottom of their feet and things. So we, I had one lady come to me. She was on a trampoline because we always get a history. How did you get injured? What, when did this pain start? So she was on one of those trampolines with her kids, and she fell flat on her stomach and kind of bent way back this way. And ever since then, she just had terrible pains in here, and a lot of people, when they have these pains and these cramps in their psoas, they think they need to go to a gynecologist. And you know, any of my gynecologist friends, I always tell them about this because I get people that tell me this, I've been to my gynecologist, I've been checked, there's nothing wrong, my ovaries are fine, you know, all of that. But a lot of times, it's the psoas that is tight. 
Well, she was all tied up in here. So because I, you know, pretty much knew how she injured herself, I figured, you know, she overstretched and probably threw these all in the spasm. So maybe 15, 20 minutes I spent with her. She came back. It was either the next day or the day after with her husband. And she told me, Corolla, you know, since you worked on me, it's been the first time that I've been able to have sex with my husband and not have pain. You know, and she was in tears and she was crying and her husband was standing beside her and he goes, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> but, but you know, you never know how you can help somebody. There's another person that I worked on. She's probably close to 60 or in her 60s. And she had stress incontinence. Whenever she would drink her water in the morning, if she would sneeze or jump up and down on her bounce, bounce or a rebounder, she would leak a little bit. And so it happened by chance we were learning some visceral massage and working on each other. And, and she had surgery here from an appendectomy because they used to you know, have bigger scars back in the day. And her belly button actually pulled over to the side because scar tissue can really take and rearrange your body just from pulling and getting in there and making cobwebs all over and even strangulating colons and things like that. So, so I especially worked a lot on that side and I worked deep in there and really worked her psoas because it seems she had a lot of scar tissue on that psoas from that surgery. So it wasn't maybe a week or so later she says, you know what? She says, I can do, since you started working on my abdomen and I, maybe two or three times that I did, she said, I can bounce all I want on the bouncer. I can sneeze. I don't have any more stress incontinence. She was just thrilled. You know, again, it might seem so simple to us, but for someone not having to wear the pads and not having to worry about leaking themselves or being embarrassed, you know, that's a big deal. And to be healthier, you know, not needing to worry about that. So you never know when you're helping people what results that you have. And, and it is, it's just such a joy when people come to you and say, wow, you know, and it's things we never dreamed of. We even had a gal one time working on um, Dr. Escobar. She's the one who takes us through Gadaver Lab. Her father and mother came into the clinic because I, I gave her coupons or whatever to come into our clinic for massage. So she sent her mother and her father. Well, the father had hearing problems. So he told the therapist, you know, she asked, well, what problems do you have, whatever? And he says, you know, it really bugs me that I can't hear. <laughs> and so she's like, okay. So she just really started working all around his ear, pulling it, just did all kinds of therapy in his neck and really paid attention and not promising any results, not even knowing that she may have any results. So the guy got in the car afterwards and told his wife, you know, I think I can hear better. His, his wife's like, ah, it's all in your head, you know? So Monday we get a call, or there was a message on the machine or something at the school, and this guy called so excited saying this was the first time in years that he actually heard the sermon in church. And so we don't know why this worked, whether there was some fluid that was released, whether increased circulation in the nerves could work better to that area. We don't know, but you know what? It doesn't matter, <laughs> right? As long as she worked gently and very thoroughly, and you just don't know what kind of results. And when you pray, you know, God can bless your hands. So it's just, I mean, I could probably tell you story after story of things that are, and these are students, you know. 
a lot of these are students and, and just um, some experiences that we've had. So we talked a little bit about it yesterday. You see there where the jeans are in the shirt, the belly button, and this um, ASIS? Do you remember that? Remember how to find it in the belly button? So do it on yourself. Don't, you know, you want to be real careful of, you know, pressing and pushing into people. If you go in gently, usually the colon will move out of the way because that's the main thing right in there. But you may have scar tissue. If they've had any type of surgeries like gallbladder surgery, appendicitis, who knows what, if they've had surgery, you know there's going to be a lot of scar tissue in there. And if you feel anything hard, you can just kind of wiggle back and forth lightly and help to break up some of that scar tissue, and even on yourself. Anywhere you've had surgeries, you want to get in there, and the only way to break up scar tissue is to get in there and break it up. You can't stretch it away. You can't exercise it away. You have to work it away. That's it. So, so for those of you, you know, who feel comfortable doing that, do it on yourselves many times, on your friends, on your family, before you ever attempt to do it on anybody else. Similar to, you know, getting in here and getting in here to these different muscles. But you know what? You can always practice on yourself and, and work on friends and family, right? If you hurt them, it's not so bad. No. <laughs> but, but you're not going to hurt anybody, remember, because we're gentle. We never go beyond a six on the pain scale. All right? So correct posture test. Let's all, boy, we don't have very many walls here. This is your homework. <laughs> when you go home, stand up. I don't even have a wall here. You want to stand up against the wall, and you want to feel how much space do you have between your lower back and the wall. So if you can flip your hand around like boing, 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 <laughs> you've got, like, say, if I really arch it, too much space. If it's comfortable that you can just slide it in and out, you have a pretty good arch. If you can't even put your hand in there, see that? See how my pelvis rotates and it's flat? If you can't get your hand in there, you definitely have some problems too. And a lot of that is either the psoas, the glutes, and the hamstrings. All right? So check your posture and see how it is, okay? So tonight, just get up against the wall in your hotel room or anywhere you are, maybe at break time even, and see what type of a space you have between the wall and your lower back. Here's something very interesting. I, start, I just did a little bit of research on lower back pain because I like to keep up with the times and see what's new out there. This is a huge thing here, hydration and lower back pain. Remember we saw those discs, right? You had the vertebrae and those spongy little discs in between. Well, they're made up of a lot of water. I don't know exactly the percent, but when they get dehydrated, what happens to them? They shrink down. Do you think it's easier for you to herniate a disc that's shrunken down between those spaces? And if you go to turn, something pops out or something like that. Did you know that when you wake up in the morning, you're taller than by the end of the day? Because when you're laying in bed at night, your discs actually fill up with water. There's no pressure on them. You're just laying there comfortably. They fill up with water. By the time you're at the end of the day and you've been squashing on those discs all day, water kind of spurts out of them. And if you're not drinking water to help refresh that, you can actually get lower back pain. 
It says here that low back pain is a warning sign of dehydration of the body. And I was glad to see um, Wildwood had this guy, Dr. I don't even know how to spell his name, Batman G. Lynch. Do you know how to say that, Dr. Sherman? <laughs> yeah, there we go, Batman, Dr. Batman. <laughs> but he's done a lot of studies on water and pain. I mean, it's amazing how when you're not hydrated, the pain that you're suffering. Dehydration's effects on disc, vertebral disc collapse, because there are shock absorbers and they can cause lots of pain and discomfort. And some people say they don't even have discs left between their vertebrae anymore. Spinal curves as shock absorbers. Did you know it's very important that you have a good curve in your neck and that you have the correct curve going out, like right here in your back? And then, whoops, and a nice good curve right here in your lower back because our spine ends up being our shock absorber. People who have had whiplash end up losing the curve in their neck. Sometimes it will even curve the opposite way. Do you think these people have headaches, <laughs> right? If you have your head sitting on something straight like this and you're walking and anything just pounces, on that spine or on the bottom of your, your brain here, you can get headaches quite easily. And we find that a lot in people with whiplashes, as well as even depression. People that have whiplashes get depressed. And it's funny because my mother's had a few whiplashes. She's always getting hit in the car. People are rear-ending her. And, uh, and she, she told me, she says, you know, I have depression so bad, I just cry, and I don't know why. And, um, and she's never had a history of depression, but she says, I'm afraid to tell my doctor because... Medication. Right. All he's going to do is give her medication and think she's crazy, mm -hmm. right? So after hearing that, I'm just like, you know, Mom, I'm going to search that out a little bit. And so when I work on whiplash patients, I will ask them to, you know, hey, do you ever have depression? You know, my mom had this and I just want to, you know, see. And they will admit that many of them have had depression just since their whiplash. And not just due to the pain, I think a lot of it's due to not getting the circulation and all of that up there because everything becomes inflamed. So your nerve energy, your circulation and all that is inhibited. See, and this guy has too much of a straight neck up here. It should be a little bit more curved. When we check anybody with their neck, even just using the oil coming up, if they have a nice curve, they're good to go. If they're straight, then we know, uh-oh, there's something going on. They've probably had a whiplash somewhere down the line. So anyway, um, let's just finish up here. Other modalities to help. Decompression. Have you ever seen those things where they lay? and it kind of turns them upside down somewhat, those little decompressions. Those are good. You know, you don't have to go out and buy one. Not everybody needs one, but some people swear by them to actually take some pressure off of that lower back or the spine. Um, massage we know, hot and cold, lots of hydrotherapy because we want to get circulation into the area and then counter strain. Like we said, different ways of getting in a position that's comfortable when you have lower back pain. All right, so we're going to have Tanya take over from here. So let's all stand up while Tanya's getting ready. We're going to do a little stretch and our favorite little lymph moves. So how many here are um, familiar with charcoal 
I'm sure a lot of you are. Who, is, who has never had an experience with charcoal or does not know anything about charcoal? Anybody? Okay. So we have a few people that do, that have not. Um, this is what charcoal looks like right here. It's activated. This is activated. Is that correct? I, we've got this from you. This is activated charcoal. And as an EMT, we carried activated charcoal on our ambulance. And it's funny, when you want to tell people about things that will help them, things that they could use to make their life a little bit better, if you just tell them about charcoal, they just don't want to hear anything about it. But if you let them know that it's something that we carry on our ambulance, they're like, oh, OK, well, do you want to tell me about it? It's really funny how that works. But I'm sure a lot of you have had experiences with, with charcoal. It also comes in um, capsule form, or you can get it in pill form as well. Charcoal is very good as um, an absorber. It absorbs things, toxins, poisons, infection, that type of, pardon me? Medications as well. Good point. So um, something that everybody should have in their home to help with the minor emergencies and even the, the, um, the bigger emergencies in the home as well. What are some of the things we can use charcoal for? Anybody have an idea? Bee stings. Has anybody had an experience with um, charcoal and bee stings? Yeah. Yeah, insect bite, bites. Um, things like that. I know when I use it for a bee sting, um, if I just put it on the outside, I don't get a really good result. Maybe you do. I have to take it internally as well. Um, say you, you do, for those of you who, who don't know anything about charcoal, say you have a bee sting, an ant bite, something, insect bite of some sort. Um, you can make a little poultice with it. You can take a Band-Aid and you can, um, make a little paste of the charcoal. This is actually a powder. It's, um, it's pretty loose. And you can t ground up some flaxseed. Now, I use flaxseed when I want to um, thicken it, get it to kind of gel together so I can do make a poultice out of it. Does anybody use anything besides the flaxseed? What do you use? I use Do you mix it with the? Oh, that's a good idea. OK. Okay, so you can do that as well. You can either grind some flaxseed. You just put a little bit in. It doesn't take much to put in and make a little paste with it or the aloe vera gel. Probably works just as well. And you just take it and you get a little paste out of it. You can take a paper towel or a Band-Aid. You can lift up the, the little thing that down the center. I don't know what, what material that's. Yeah, yeah. You can lift that up. You can put it underneath there if you just need a little one. Or you can fold up a paper towel. Make sure you wet the paper towel and um, put your um, paste on one part of it. You can fold it over and place it on wherever you have the bite or the um, infection. Works great for infection as well. The time I used it on a bee sting, maybe it worked so well yeah. appreciated, but yeah. Until I yeah. Yeah, any infection that you get, you get a sliver. It also acts as a drawing agent as well. Um, it'll draw a sliver out also. 
It, you can, yep, yep. I don't know about putting it externally on poison ivy. I don't know if anybody's had that, but you can take it internally. Um, pardon me? Yeah, on the outside, externally on, yeah. I don't see why it wouldn't. I know that it can um, affect a, a scar where it can discolor your skin, like say you have a cut or something. So be careful. I haven't had a problem with it, but some people will say that it will make your scar a little dark or black or something. <laughs> I haven't had that problem. You know, I have put it right on cuts before, and I don't, my skin doesn't discolor from it. I don't know why. But, yeah, for bruising, it's great for bruising. Um, you know, um, it has so many uses that everybody should have it in their medicine chest. Seriously. No, I think, Crowley, do you know what, is it like two hours, um, two hours after? Yeah. Yeah, because it will absorb that as well. Okay. Yeah, and it also absorbs odors in your home. So if, if you know that, you know, you need some help with that, you can have a... Some people do use it for um, a white, whitening of the teeth as well. Yeah, yeah, it works for there. Yeah, anybody else have any other suggestions, any uses for it? Yeah, and urinary tract infections as well. I have heard that it has helped with that. I, ha I don't have personal experience with that, but diarrhea, excellent. Any upset stomach, flu, when you feel, you know, flu coming on, you know, you take four um, capsules or tablets, or I find that mixing the powder in with water is much more effective. It works quicker. But a lot of people don't like the, the taste of it, so. Okay. And I actually think this is probably good for today. We have quite a few more muscles involved with low back pain. But um, we want to make sure that we end on time today. And also, there are a few requests for us to talk about some other information as well. We have um, several people interested in um, pregnancy and infant massage. And so I just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about infant massage. I don't know if you've heard much about infant massage, but there's actually more research out there about infant massage than any other kind of massage. Um, there was a famous study that was conducted, and I believe it was conducted by the Miami Touch Research Institute. And they did a, a large study on premature infants. Now, I'm sh you may have heard about some um, discoveries that were made about premature infants and the fact that touch is very important for these small babies. Um, they found that when parents hold their babies skin to skin and just hold them and rock them, the babies do much, much better than when they're just in these incubators. It's very stressful to babies being in this new environment with no touch. They're used to being surrounded by their mother and all of us hearing that heartbeat, it's so reassuring and warm. And suddenly they're in this environment with the bright lights and people taking blood, pricking them. And it's very stressful to babies. We don't often think of babies being stressed. But they did some studies and they found that they call it kangaroo care, where they now have parents holding special time for parents just to hold 
their babies under their clothes, skin to skin. They find that babies do much better. So um, they wanted to know if massage would have any effect on babies or if just the touch, just the holding, uh, if massage would help or if it was just the touch and the holding that they needed. So they conducted a study with a large test group. I think they had about 22 premature babies and half of them got held and rocked three times a day for 15 minutes. With premature babies, you cannot do too much. They can get um, overstimulated, so just small amounts of time. And the other group got a simple little massage routine three times a day for 15 minutes, so the same amount of time. One just got touch, the other group got massage. And the results were astounding. Carola mentioned a little bit in one of her slides. They found this particular study the group that got the massage gained 47% more weight. Thank you. Dug it out of the trailer. Thank you. <laughs> then the group that did not, that just got held and rocked. So um, with premature babies, weight gain is the number one concern. So this was huge. The babies that were uh, massaged were also able to leave the hospital six days earlier than those that did not get the massage. Now beyond all of that, they, they have these um, coordination tests that they do for babies called the Brazelton scale test, something to that effect. And they found that the babies that had been massaged performed better on the coordination test than those that did not get the massage. Beyond that, they also found that they, they checked in on these two groups six months later and they found the group that had gotten massage in the hospital as preemies were ahead of the other group that had not received the massage even six months later, a year later, two years later. They found the group that had received massage, they were performing better than the babies that had not had the massage. So what's interesting about massage and touch with babies is that we have found that touch actually stimulates the brain to develop um, in the different stages of development. So um, the, the way we can see how this works, um, it's very sad, but we can see by babies who have not had touch how, what happens, what parts of the brain are affected by touch. And um, I don't know if you've ever heard of um, orphans like in places like Romania where you have many, many children and very few caretakers that the babies are not able to have, they, they just don't receive touch. There may be one caretaker in 100 babies so that often they'll just take the milk and they'll prop the milk and the baby will get all the nutrition, will get a warm bed, will get everything except someone to hold the baby. And what they found with this, it took a while before they, people started figuring out something was wrong, something was happening with these babies, is that there are whole parts of the brain that just don't develop if a child does not get touch. And if a child gets massage, these same parts of the brain make better, stronger connections. And so for the rest of their lives, these kids have like um, a stronger network or framework for their brain to work from. So it's, um, massage can be unbelievably beneficial to kids. The number one thing, it promotes bonding. Remember we talked about cortisol, that bonding hormone? Um, it promotes bonding between a child and the caregiver. So they found with um, moms that are depressed, moms that are maybe teenage moms who, who are not sure if they really want the child, they 
clinical studies show that if they do infant massage, that brings the mother's depression down. It improves that bond of caring between the child and the parent. Um, it just does so much to help that family having that massage. Um, no, just for r regular babies. Massage actually helps their brain develop. It brings, um, it helps, it has a lot to do with um, motor coordination. It helps improve motor coordination. It improves speech. A lot of, I took an infant massage class, and I think there were about 20 people in the class. Only two of us were massage therapists. We had a lot of NICU nurses. We had several speech pathologists because they found that speech is, um, massage helps a child to do better in speech. It helps with that, the, um, them to be able to form the words properly. There's a whole little routine for infant massage, but anything, you know, massage doesn't have to be intimidating. I think the biggest thing is that parents feel they don't know what to do. So I'll show you a few little techniques, and there is a website. This is where I took my infant massage training, and they actually have, um, offer infant massage DVDs and little handbooks that have all the moves written out. And so um, the name of the website is lovingtouch.com. So if you are, have an interest in infant massage, also they offer training in infant massage all over the country. Um, they, the training that they offer is to teach parents to do infant massage. You never ever want to go and massage someone else's baby because the most important factor is that communication between parent and child. It's not, it's not going to be nearly as beneficial if you massage a stranger's someone else's baby. It's best when parents learn to massage their own baby. It's a very special time. And um, some of the little techniques, a lot of the things that massage will do, most of the times parents aren't, as, aren't always as interested in connections in the brain and all of this. But massage will help babies to sleep longer, be less fussy, um, helps a lot with the pain if they have colic. Remember we talked about massage helping with pain. All the benefits of massage for babies apply to us, except we're not going to gain a bunch of weight from getting massage because that's not going to be healthy. It's, not, it's just going to help us be healthier. <laughs> so don't worry about weight gain. But massage is just as beneficial for us as adults as it is for babies. So um, a, a real simple technique just for colic, and this most, a lot of people just learn this see something that's handed down from generation to generation. A lot of people will say, oh, someone showed me that technique. It's called paddling. It's one of the first little things. And I'm going to make, take, well, take my hands and pretend to be like a, a water wheel, like a paddle. And just starting right below the rib cage, I'm just going to paddle down very gently but firmly. And with babies, you want to use a firm but gentle pressure. They don't want to be lightly touched. They like a firm but gentle pressure. Um, just before I get more into the techniques, just be careful when you work with babies. Make sure the same contraindications. You know, you don't want a baby to be sick. That's not the best time for you to be doing massage. If they have, if they have inflammation or if they have a cold or something like this, it's not time to be doing massage. So. Um, 
If you're not sure if it's safe or not, get a doctor's release before you do it. But for a healthy, for a healthy baby, there's no contraindication. But just obviously if they have wounds or um, just use common sense. Think intelligently about what's safe with infant massage. If they have um, not healed and they still have that little um, umbilical cord there, then make sure you go around that, you know, to just use common sense as you work. Yeah. Yeah, just be careful with a circulatory massage. If a, if a child is sick because their body's already overwhelmed, the body's already fighting that um, sickness, like if they have the flu, you don't want to increase the circulation, then you're increasing the load on the heart. So just that's always a contraindication. If you did a little percussion, that's going to be fine, but you don't want to get in there and really move the circulation around. And if they have a fever, something like this, just let them rest, go to the doctor, I wouldn't do massage for those types of things. So for the colic, we're going to start out with a paddling. Nice and firm, just paddling down. Can everyone see? Maybe I should make a little... You would never have your baby upside down. <laughs> but I just want everyone to be able to see the techniques. Normally what we do, actually, is we'd, I'd like to put a little pillow and put a blanket on the floor and then have the baby lifted up just a little bit because it's always good if you kind of can get eye contact with the baby as you work on the baby. So you don't want to um, have the baby too far away. It's good if you're nice and close so that you can do these techniques. So I'm just doing some paddling on the abdomen to start out with. And then you can also use your fingertips and do just little circles around the navel. Gently make sure it's clockwise. Imagine there's a clock on your baby's tummy or on the baby's tummy and you're following the hands of the clock. Because that's the way the digestion goes. If you go the opposite way, you can actually back up the digestion and leave them worse than what you found them. So you always want to go clockwise. The third little technique is just taking the legs gently on the sides. You don't want to grab right underneath the knee, just kind of more on the sides, bringing the leg up and gently pushing, holding for about three to five seconds, and then releasing it and bringing it back up again. Yes, it will. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And all these techniques you can keep doing and just adapting as they become toddlers to a bigger body. You know, it'll even, some of these things are even good for adults. <laughs> Moving it around. So this is similar to some of the stuff we do for constipation on adult clients. We don't lift the legs, but <laughs> we tell them to take a walk and just get things moving that way. But that's just a really simple colic routine. You can do it several times. Um, and just in general, if, if um, you recommend some massage for babies, you want to make sure that um, you don't use any scented products because the smell is a very important part of bonding. Um, the baby can smell the smell of his mother or father as they work on him, and that's very important. So you want to use something that's unscented, and also something that's edible. It's best if you use a vegetable, a cold-pressed vegetable oil, um, because babies 
we don't always realize how much the skin absorbs what we put onto it. If you take a clove of garlic and you rub it on your big toe, 15 minutes later, you'll smell that on your breath. So that lets us know the, the skin absorbs what we put on it. We want to be very careful. Um, we don't want to use petroleum products. And baby oil is a petroleum-based product that's actually made from the same oil that they, you put in your car. It's, um, it's not something that's going to be healthy for the system of your baby. So I recommend, uh, you can even use a cold-pressed olive oil. I like almond oil when I work on babies, but um, just use a, something edible, and often babies will kind of eat off quite a bit of what you put on them, too. They eat half of what you put on them. So just make sure that what you put on them is something healthy that you don't mind being in their system. Nothing scented. It's good to have a special little blanket that's just for massage so that the baby knows when this comes out, this is going to be massage time. And also, you shouldn't massage a baby if the baby's fussy, if the baby's... Um, you have to kind of ask permission from the baby. If you go to lovingtouch.com and get the video, you'll get all the different techniques for infant massage. But um, the baby comes first. You never want to force massage onto a baby because it should be a happy time and a great experience for both both the parent and for the, for the child. So um, the way you know, babies really do communicate with us. I don't have children. I was always a little intimidated by babies because I felt that as soon as I hold the baby, the baby's going to start crying. And it really helped me to get more confidence in realizing that babies actually communicate with us. And they give us a lot of cues that they're not happy before they start screaming. And um, it helps parents, too, to be able to see their baby's language and start to understand their baby better. Um, some little things that we can look for, if a baby isn't really into what we're doing, often a baby will start by just looking away, just kind of looking away from us. When a baby's into what we're doing and interested, they'll just look at us and they'll be, you, you, you've often seen a baby just looking at you and just fascinated. Often we want to work on babies that are quiet but just alert and looking at us. That's a good sign that this is a time, a good time for massage. If they're getting fussy, if they're turning away from us, um, those are signs they may not be as into it. Um, if they turn away and they're giving us little clues and we don't catch on to it, then they start giving us bigger clues. Like the baby could take his fist and kind of do this type of thing. Mm. That's another little sign that the baby's not really into what we're doing. Or um, if we ignore that, the baby could start arching the back like this. This is another sign that they may not be into what we're doing. And if we keep ignoring these things, we get a bigger and bigger and bigger response. Um, I think it's really interesting. I come from Africa, and I hear often that people who go to Africa come back and they'll say, the one thing unique about Africa is that we never heard a baby cry. And in Africa, mothers will tie their babies on with um, scarves. And as soon as the baby whimpers, they'll pull the baby around, feed the baby, take care of its needs. And so the baby never even needs to cry because the baby knows that its needs are going to be taken care of. In our Western society, babies cry a lot more than in some of the other less civilized societies because um, in Western societies, we tend not to hold our babies as much and give them as much. Um, comfort and security as some of these other cultures that 
may actually be a lot better the way they handle their babies. Um, so just be aware of this. Uh, make sure the baby's open to it. Some of the little things that you can do, get the oil and you can just let your baby know this is the sign for massage. And um, you can do some just really simple strokes. Just seeing what time it is here. So I'll show you guys just a few little things and just remember lovingtouch.com. The whole deal is right there. I'm going to make my hand like a little C. You get the oil, have the baby on the blanket. It's really nice when they're propped up a little bit so you can have eye contact. And then you bring the hand around the arms all the way down the leg like this. Kind of like a little C around the hip. And um, she calls this an Indian milking stroke because in India, babies get massaged every single day. It's a traditional thing. And this is one of the techniques that um, was learned in India. The developer of the Loving Touch program spent quite a bit of time there. And then um, you can take your hands and do something called ringing. Just up and down the leg like this. And it's really fun to play underneath the feet. And something neat about babies, sometimes they want to roll their, their feet up or their hands together. And all you have to do, there's a little reflex that if you tap the top of the foot or if you kiss the top of the foot or the hand, then automatically their foot will open up. So you can do little pressure walking up the bottom of the foot, gliding and opening up underneath the foot. And there's a real neat little um, game that you can play with your baby that I learned from Loving Touch. It's um, airplane runway. It's like you pretend you've got an airplane going, whee, there goes the airplane. And it helps the baby's tracking because you'll see them watching your hand. And it should be something fun that parents can enjoy with, with the baby. You play the little airplane game, and then you can roll their little toes and talk about this little piggy went to market, this little piggy stayed home, this little piggy got tofu burgers, and that one got none, and this little one went wee 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 all the way home. And just make it fun. It's, it's something that should be fun, and the baby will be laughing, and it's, it's not the same when you look at a doll getting massaged. <laughs> Whenever a baby come in, comes into the classroom, everyone's like, all the dolls are left to the side because it's so much fun to see how they react. It's such a fun thing to do. Um, and you can work on both legs. And you don't have to have a specific routine. Just, you know, the routine is just there to give you some structure so that you feel like you're confident. You know, but just use a nice gentle touch afterwards. Then you want to take, go upwards instead of pulling down the legs. This is more the Swedish massage stroke. Going up the leg this time. You can do a little shaking of the leg and tapping. See how much more relaxed the leg is that you haven't worked on versus the one that well, one you have worked on versus the one that you haven't, and then you can repeat on the other side. So it's just real simple little techniques. You can do a lot of the same things on the arm. Just about everything we just did for the feet, we can do the same things for the hands. The Indian milking stroke, twisting, just opening the hands. 
and then work playing with the fingers. We can do the airplane runway, just gently stroking around the, the hand, just having fun, basically. And um, we have the little colic routine that we already learned. Um, there's several more things. I'm not going to show you everything. But um, like I said, once more, there is a DVD available with all this information and beautiful handouts. And if you are interested in teaching parents, if you're um, a midwife or you're interested in this type of work, I, I do recommend the, the course through Loving Touch. She does an amazing job. She gives so many materials and um, covers a lot of different um, subjects, teaches you really how to, to hold classes. Um, for the back, it's nice to do without the diaper, but it might be a good idea to have an open diaper underneath just to protect from accidents. And for this one, you just go all, hold onto the little baby's bottom with one hand, and then bring the hand down, stroke down towards your other hand. Little circles on each side of the spine. You're basically doing like an adult massage, but just on a little baby's body. And as the babies grow older, you can continue just adapting this to their growing bodies. And even into teenage years, massage really encourages communication with parents and children. So it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. A really nice thing is just to go all the way down the back, lift the legs so you get the whole body all at once. It's really, really fun to do. So just some real simple little techniques. Um, since several people were interested in the infant massage, and once again, if you're really interested in going out and teaching this, this is something that's great to do in the community. You can have several different classes covering different body parts, and then each week parents come back and they'll say, oh, my baby's sleeping longer. It's not, you know, they'll, they'll tell the differences in their child from just doing these simple, simple techniques. And what's interesting about massage, I don't know if we covered this before, but it's just as beneficial to give massage as it is to receive massage. Um, they've done studies on grandparents working on doing infant massage, and the grandparents' blood pressure came down. The, the grandparents' health improved because it's very relaxing. When you help, some, the Bible says it's better to give than it is to receive. When we help others, we feel better. <laughs> so um, we'll continue tomorrow with the low back pain. And thank you so much. Have a great night. <laughs>